Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And this is the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. Today we're starting a new series on death, and we'll be talking each episode about Jesus' relationship with death. And so as you listen, we just want to ask you, uh, obviously, join us in this thinking and looking at the text uh, that we choose, but what questions aren't we getting to? Uh, And so we'd encourage you to to let us know, or what observations are we missing? We're we're going to be looking at John 11 uh, today, and and to save us a little time, I just want to kind of set up the passages we will be focusing on. At the beginning of the story, Jesus is in a somewhat remote place, uh, and he gets news from friends, Mary and Martha, that their brother, who's also a friend named Lazarus, is sick. Uh, By the time Jesus gets this news, it's clear that Lazarus is already dead. It takes some time to get there, but he intentionally waits uh, for a while, and they have he has an interaction with his apostles explaining that Lazarus has died, and it's better that Lazarus has died. Uh, and then they make their way, and Jesus interacts with both of the sisters who ask him the same question. Basically, the question is, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And he answers them differently, and we may get to that in a minute. Uh, but after having those conversations, he moves out to the tombs, uh, and or at least the tomb where he is he is headed. And it says uh, in 35, it's that very popular verse because of its brevity that Jesus wept, uh, and that's interesting. But we're going to pick up in uh, verse 38, and it says there in verse 38 of John chapter 11, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So when you hear this, what amazes you about this interaction? So right off, right off the bat, one of the things I think, Jason, we talk about all the time is, is how, how Jesus treats people as unique individuals and how frustrating that can be a lot of times. When we look at how we want to apply scripture to our life, it is so easy to, to go somewhere and say, hey, here's a person that was in, in grief and Jesus does this. And so I have to do exactly this. In this passage, what amazes me is you have these two sisters, right? Mary and Martha, and they're both grieving the loss of their brother Lazarus. And they both have the same the same words for Jesus. They both have the same phrasing in how they confront Jesus about believing that he could have stopped the death of their brother. And Jesus treats them uniquely and individually. For Martha, Jesus Jesus sees something in her and realizes, oh, she needs she needs an explanation. She needs to hear my voice. She needs to understand the, these things. For Mary, Jesus sees her and recognizes she just needs to hear me weeping with her. She just needs to hear me being there for her. And I think that's so important to recognize, you know, especially in, in grief and in sadness. Sometimes 
right? We need to be sharing words and we need to be to be out there verbally, whatever that means. And then sometimes sometimes we just need to sit there with people. That is beautiful, beautiful and, and so instructive to me. I, I would add to that what amazes me uh, is Jesus's handling of the situation uh, from start to finish that that on, on one hand, I would say you're doing this all wrong. Uh, and yet in the end, you see the precision, and not just with Mary and Martha, but even with his apostles, uh, the precision that he works in handling all aspects, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, even the social dynamic, uh, the way he's able to take what the people give him, and he just handles it brilliantly. I, I love the way Thomas, uh, the way I perceive it, Thomas shines early in the chapter where they're very concerned, the apostles are very concerned to go back into this region because threats against their lives. And Thomas is like, then let's go <laughs> and let them die with, let's die with him. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's just amazing how personal uh, he is and how he's able to handle himself so beautifully. Uh, so then we transition to what perplexes you about this. So I, I think we're going to be on similar lines. There are plenty of things that perplex me about this story. I mean, a dead man walks out of a grave, so that's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> right. But I think the the big question for this for this passage and for this story, and I don't think we can know the answer, is how does Lazarus feel about this? Right? How does Lazarus feel about the fact that he is is, is he no longer in the presence of God? Is was you know he he's sleeping in 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 the in between phase? Um, theologically, the afterlife and heaven and the new heavens and new earth. It's very messy, and you you just gotta wonder what is like what the heck is this like for Lazarus? Yes, and and so and is he experiencing this as a person that you know goes into a coma for a time and wakes up and they're like you know what's his first question that would be interesting is yeah. what day is it what happened but if he has any awareness uh, like when you're at a funeral and you hear somebody speaking about that person they will talk in terms of this person is already in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so and of course, Jesus to the man on the cross and you, today, you today will be you'll with be with me in paradise. paradise. Exactly. And so what does that mean? And that, that deserves a deeper dive, which we will get to. Uh, but it is, that's really interesting. You know, the thing that perplexes me is, is it's not even so much that it's why Jesus cries. And, and on one hand, I get it to the extent that, He's relating to uh, Mary, and uh, he's connecting, and it's his own emotions. But the other thing is, if I come to a funeral or any you know, calamity, and I know I have the power to fix it, I want to move there as quickly as possible. You know, Because the reason why, if I'm in Mary's shoes, the reason why I'm crying is it's over. I will never talk to my brother again. So this is good. Like your initial reaction would be like, I have to run to that grave right now because I there are tears along the way that these sisters will feel that if Jesus sprints to the grave, he can, in theory, he could wipe those away and make them so that they never happen. Right. So you know how they always have a dinner after a funeral or not always, but often will. Do they have a dinner? I, I assume they're celebrating. So sitting around the table an hour later. And Mary's like, why were you crying? <laughs> I, I just imagine, you know, you knew what you were going to do. You yeah. knew you were going to raise him. Why waste even that emotional energy? And why are you so moved with sadness? And and I have my suspicions of why, but but sure. just being honest, why are you so moved with sadness when you know celebration is right? Not 
10 years from now. Yeah. Not at the the resurrection at the end, but it's really moments away and you were and this Jesus wept. This isn't a tear running down his face. He is sobbing. Um and and that's the dynamic that is really interesting. So it it is it is kind of interesting, right? So these sisters would have been in the process of grieving, which, you know, for us it's a it's a fairly informal thing, but for, you know, a Jewish family, it would have been a very very serious thing it would have been a very um it would have been a very formal thing right it was it had this expectations and like versus have like a modern corollary i I just think this would be kind of funny right you know when somebody dies obviously lots of casseroles get baked a lot of lasagnas get made a lot of frozen lasagnas get made here's just a god's honest truth for you church ladies that i love dearly put more sauce on your freaking lasagna (laughs) i just that is just a service announcement i I feel so strongly about this. I had like several grandparents die like in like the course of like a year when I was a kid. And so we had frozen lasagnas out the wazoo and my mom was having to go and get like extra jars all the time. And so that's just a personal thing. But I do wonder, right, for the for the community and for um for the people like it says that people follow Martha out because like they think that she's going to weep at the grave. So the, there are people there for there for them. There is a support system around them. And you just, you, you kind of, you kind of begin to wonder. So like Mary and Martha have this deep conviction that Jesus is the Messiah and powerful enough to save their brother from the sickness. And what are the people around them? How are they perceiving Jesus in this situation? How are they perceiving Jesus in this? He's deliberate. He's, um, he's not in a rush, right? He is in touch with all of the emotions. He clearly loves these sisters and clearly loves Lazarus. And man, I just wondered the people on the periphery, the people baking the lasagnas and, you know, sitting there for the sisters. It's just, it's just a really interesting thought. It is. And and the thing that brings to mind when I think about the dynamic of honestly about what you said of, of why raise Lazarus, like it's not a benefit to Lazarus um, in the sense, if we think heaven is a superior spot than earth, <laughs> and I just, I just, I just realized this. What you were saying, Lazarus is going to have to experience his, experience his friend's Jesus' death very soon after this. Wow. That is a cruel. Thing. That's a, that's a very cruel thing to yeah. have to wake up to and to experience. That raises another question: Is now clearly Jesus visited many people after his resurrection, but we have no account of Jesus coming back to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who. And and we're piecing stuff together, but seems to be very close to them. So that's that's a very interesting thing too. Uh, yeah, this the way that Jesus thinks about uh, and the most basic the way Jesus thinks about death is so much different than the way I think about death and and what I'm projecting that most people think about death. I uh, and I think that's that's a fascinating thing, and I the reason it's important is as a person who has performed a lot of funerals, um, recognizing this dual nature of Jesus, like the question is what is necessary? And and you already, with your amazement, with what amazes you and, and what amazes me about the passage, this already speaks to it. But what what is underneath it is Jesus is always doing something more than what is happening on the surface. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus is talking to Mary and talking to Martha, he's doing it knowing that he's about to resurrect Lazarus. So there's something deeper than offering comfort, understanding, factual information about that particular slice of reality because he already knows another slice of reality. Jesus is so intentional in building Mary and Martha's faith, not just 
for them to feel hope that mm-hmm. someday Lazarus will be raised. But there's something even bigger that's going to apply knowing Lazarus is going to be raised in that hour. Uh, and it's just the intentionality, the, the um, yeah, that's probably the best word there, the mm-hmm. intentionality of, of what he's sharing that I understand on one level and he's already on another level. And I, I think... I think a really important thing to point out about what you said. So there's the intentionality and I think also the skillful skillfulness of how Jesus loves people, right? Because there is this underlying thing, right? There is an attempt to build up the faith. But my sense is from this passage, when Mary and Martha were, were, you know, talking to Jesus, I doubt it felt like, oh, well, Jesus is, there's some ulterior motive, right? There's some, Jesus is trying to get me to some other place. And I feel like that happens a lot, especially in church settings when somebody dies is, well, I have this underlying motive, right, of showing them Jesus because they don't know Jesus or making sure they, they say the proper things while they grieve and they feel the proper way. And I think it's, it's really telling about Jesus that he does know these things, and yet that doesn't stop him from living in the moment and living exactly where they are. And that, that, that gets to why Jesus wept, right? Is he knows what's coming, but he's also allowing himself to be in the moment and to be with the people around him. Right. And, and this is, that's so good. He finds it necessary. Necessary. So the question, why? In other words, it seems to me that in the same way you you really portrayed he's having this conversation and meeting Martha at her emotional level, and now he's having this other conversation and meeting her at her emotional level. He is communicating to us. He gets us. Mm-hmm. If I'm the drama king in the story, you know, whatever story I'm telling, and you're like, man, you're irrational, and how do we either move you to rational thought so we can have an actual conversation, or how do I move away from you? Jesus is saying... I'm meeting you in the drama. Hmm. You know, he could have easily said, Martha, or Mary, rather, in this situation, Mary, if you believe in the resurrection, then let, let's move on. Let, let's let's do this. Plus, he could have easily said, knowing what he's about to do, um, how inappropriate would that be? You know, <laughs> I, I, I actually performed your grandmother's funeral, one, hmm. one of your grandmother's funeral. And how inappropriate. Not you, listener. It was, it not you, mine. listener. Yeah, no, <laughs> I performed all of your grandmother's funerals, but to Connor's grandmother's funeral. <laughs> for, for and, and, and how I just remember that funeral and how cruel would it be to say, hey, move on. She's going to be resurrected. Get over yourself, you know? And and Jesus knows that in a different way. Oh, so this is really interesting. Is is she feeling this this religious pressure, right? Of like giving the well, I know that I know that Grandma Mimi is going to be raised, you know, in in the second coming or whatever. Is that part of the energy that she carries? Is this Jesus like relieving? Like obviously he he knows what's coming, but also is there something that he's addressing deeper in her thoughts about? him and about God. Yes, and 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 I, I think I'm tracking with what you're saying there. And what happens if he doesn't cry? Hmm. And not just here, but what happens if he never cries? I mean, honestly, we've kind of swept on the rug he cried. I mean, if this wasn't the shortest verse in the New Testament, we might not know it at all. You know yeah. what I mean? Because deep emotional sharing, and, and I think we've talked about this, but this idea of weeping, this is not a single tear, when you take that in, that's kind of embarrassing. Like if I'm doing a funeral mm-hmm. and performing that funeral and I start sobbing, you're thinking if, if, if it's the person you love, we did not choose the right guy here. Yeah. You know, calm down. Now, their culture, as you said, they even had professional mourners. We don't know if these were professional mourners, but people that would come out intentionally to cry with those who cried. 
Um, and you see these a couple this this role a couple times in in the Gospels, but this dynamic if Jesus doesn't cry, and and again not just cry but weep, um, then I don't know if we even thought about this or I've ever thought about it, but we don't feel permission to, mm. you know. And as it is, we don't feel permission to show strong emotion. So this is interesting. Imagine what would happen if your favorite politician or whatever who is running for higher office. Like some 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 sort of injustice happened, right? There was something wrong that occurred, and just wept. I think for Jason and I, right, that that would human. Honestly, I think that would humanize whoever it was, and I would feel much closer to them. But I think there is a sense in our culture that if they showed weakness like that publicly, that that would be to their detriment. And we have a savior that, I and mean, we have we have a savior that it's not. It's not a detriment. It's in addition. Absolutely. Well, and I I can't remember who said this. It might have been LeBron James recently, but it was talking about showing emotion. I man, I wish I could remember the context. Maybe it was after Kobe's uh, death, but where he said something on the lines of, and maybe it's Charles Barkley. Anyway, but he said something on the lines of, "You saw how long the what do they call it? The Michael Jordan was crying." Oh no, it was Michael Jordan who said it. It was Michael Jordan. Okay, it was at the funeral. Kobe he. Um, he was tearing up, and he was like, "I promise, I promised myself I wasn't going to cry at least." at least you know i won't like it was like hopefully i won't have to look at this for the next four or five years or whatever right exactly and it was such a time when he what crying jordan meme is that what they called it Mm -hmm. and and so that's how our culture treats the people respect when they cry and i mean my goodness in that situation he was crying it was long season his dad had died you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and even in that situation we're like we look down on people that show strong emotion we perceive it as weakness and we don't know how to deal with it Jesus was not uncomfortable with weakness. And and I think he's crying because he has real emotion. I want to be clear on that. He's not just doing it as an object lesson, but all of us have that choice. I will recognize in myself, I could really cry about this, but I can't because of dot, dot, dot. And I think Jesus had a lot of, well, I can't because of dot, dot. I'm a rabbi. Everybody's watching me. Then to know I'm about to raise this man. Mm-hmm. Why would I spend any time with pain if I can move to joy instantly? And he could have instantly. He mm-hmm. he didn't even have to go through the I mean think of all the options you yes. He could have snapped his fingers and then you hear somebody banging on the stone <laughs> and it's like who's banging on the stone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Lazarus, you know. He didn't have to spend a moment in his pain and he chose to. Yes. Not just for for Mary's sake. I think for his own sake of his humanity. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's always so important. We keep reminding ourselves it's hard for us to see Jesus's humanity because we're so focused on his deity. And I think this is one of those signals of this is how God, this isn't sin for him to weep, mm-hmm. for him to hurt. Uh, and very much he's normalizing this. And in, in when Paul writes in the letter of 1 Thessalonians where he says, don't grieve like those without hope. You know, he doesn't say don't grieve. He said don't grieve with like those without hope. Jesus not only had hope in the ultimate resurrection, he knew he was going to resurrect this man in real time right then, mm-hmm. and he still allowed himself to grieve. That's a signal to us that when we grieve, God isn't saying, all right, hurry it up. Yes. He's saying, man, I'm with you. If you need to cry for days, I'm mm-hmm. with you. And that's something that our culture and certainly our churches, in my experience, has rejected. And I, and I think it's really important here. You, you compare and contrast it with when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he feels the pain of what, what's about to happen to him and what he's about to take on to himself. I think there's obviously there's people who are way over dramatic and they, they way over emotionalize their, their own, their own life and everything that's happened to them. But I think there is a permission that some of us need to hear that it's okay to weep for others and weep for the pain 
that you feel and that you see in the world and life. And also, it's okay to weep and to, to experience the emotions of when some really hard things happen to you. Um, I, don't, I don't think I ever really thought about that in this context. But sometimes I, I feel like, you know, as, as your average male in 21st century America, okay, there are set times where you can cry, you know, or you can show a lot of emotion. You know, the, the joke that everyone says is like when you watch Field of Dreams at the very end, as a male, you can cry then. Or, you know, maybe at the birth of one of your kids, you can you can cry. But pretty much after that, it's it's whatever. And, and I do think I, I think for me, seeing seeing people who have a lot of trust and faith in Jesus, honestly and openly deal with the feelings that are inside of them. man, I think it's so powerful. I think and it connects me to people when I see people who are who are grieving for other people or who are grieving for their, themselves and, and not in a way to gain attention for themselves, but to, but just to just feeling what they're feeling and being open with them. It naturally draws me closer to that person. I think that that raises a very good point and I'll, I'll try to articulate this. I don't know if this helps even the overall conversation. What is the difference between being honest and sharing too much? You know, TMI, what is the difference? And the way I would say the difference is the motivation beneath. TMI is characterized by, I need you to take on carrying this. I'm going to share details with you that aren't pertinent um, and don't fit in our relationship. And I want you to carry this burden versus me sharing uh, just honestly about uh, and what's appropriate to an environment. So, so clearly, if I walk into, well, then I say clearly, and yeah, Jesus, you know, so I'm like, oh, this is this is where it perplexes me. I when I walk into a home where somebody's family member has died, especially if it's sudden, they didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I am weeping uh, in a way, there, there's a way I can cry over that that is appropriate, though though it may not be normal in in our mm-hmm. culture. And there's a way I can where they're having to take responsibility to comfort me. Yes. You know, there's no sense in this because we have to keep in mind Jesus is in a space where there are a lot of mourners, seasoned mourners here, and the assumption is they are mourning. You know, they are crying. So he's with them. If they weren't crying, he might have chosen a different pathway, but he's joining them where they are. So there is an appropriateness of our emotions that I don't want to say it's always the right decision. And you already make this point earlier in what we've been talking about, but it's not like, okay, it's always appropriate to come in and just weep uncontrollably. There's no sense that he's weeping uncontrollably, and there's no sense that this is inappropriate to the context. And I, I think like all of this, and this again goes to the point you made earlier, is there is no protocol that says this is how you're supposed to respond. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something that I, I certainly am pushing back against is this, well, that's not appropriate. Well, we have to go back to Jesus and we'd say, if I use those same lenses, I'm like, well, that's, this is inappropriate, Jesus. You need, to, you need to dial it back. I think the practical application is to live and exist in a moment with your grief or with somebody else's grief. I, I, I think that's really well said. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and that's the place that that it is not about, okay, here's what good Christians do. It's not bad to think about what do good Christians do as much as saying, what is the most loving thing in this moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of, and I just think what, what I'm advocating certainly is include in your options that it may be good just to sit here and cry with this person. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think that's certainly a takeaway from this. Yeah. Um, so, so like just a, a, another quick analogy if, if all the other ones fell flat. So it's similar if, if you're golfing, right? Some shots are going to require a different kind of golf club. Sometimes you're going to have to whack it. Sometimes you're going to have to get out of a sand trap. Sometimes you're going to have to, you know, gently put it in. And I wish dealing with grief in your own life and in other people's life was as simple as knowing, oh, this is the exact time to pull out this club. But there is wisdom in that. You can, as you walk through more situations like this, you can gain more knowledge and more realization for, oh, this is a time that requires this club or this is a time that requires that club. I think that's that's really good of, of add this to your repertoire. You know, and like with everything with God, if you're if you're thinking to yourself, I could never get there. That's okay. That's okay. So what I would advocate, and this is true of all those parts of of Jesus that we see that we were like, man, how would I ever emulate that? The first step is always just entertaining the thought and talking to God about it. God, if that's ever necessary, you're gonna have to show me this. And I I keep repeating this. I feel like certainly in my own life, I pray to God all the time. I am too stupid to figure this out, and I'm too cowardly to act, and that's not a reminder to him. It's a reminder to me that he understands me, mm-hmm. and if I'm open, but but God, if it's if it's appropriate for me to weep with someone, will you help me to be open to that? Will you guide me? If it's appropriate to just be quiet, if it's appropriate to, to offer wisdom, whatever that is, hope it to, you know, and our responsibility is to always ask God, what is the most loving thing here? But to entertain all the options, you know, of to be open to all these facets of how Jesus showed his emotion with people. Uh, the other thing that, that I would throw out there, kind of changing directions from emotion, is just what does this say about specifically tying this back into how Jesus thought about death? What does this say to you about how Jesus thought about death, interacted with death? What's the application that we could make from his attitude sure so I, I would i would go back to the beginning of of john chapter 11 when jesus and the disciples here were that that lazarus is that lazarus is sick and that he needs healing and he needs help there's a lot of fear in the disciples hearts of if we go back to where lazarus is if we go back to judea there could be very real physical danger for us even thomas will go on to say like like you said before okay you know we're gonna go die we're like this is this is the, the, what we're gonna do we're gonna go die and so the energy that Jesus carries in to this situation with Lazarus is really fascinating. For Lazarus to live, for Lazarus to be raised from the dead, Jesus had to insert himself into a situation that put him in mortal peril. After this, we'll go on to say this was a you know straw that maybe broke the camel's back and the Pharisees begin to really start to plot, okay, we have to, this guy has to be stopped. And so the weight of which Jesus approaches this, right? He's not, like you say, he's not in a hurry. He waits a few days to go. The weight with which Jesus gives death is really telling, right? It's not, He doesn't view it as as some simple thing that you can just dismiss and it's whatever because we're all going to be raised from the dead. But he also doesn't look like it, doesn't look at it like it's this overcome, this obstacle that you couldn't possibly overcome. And, and so... Man, keeping this tension is really hard, right? Keeping this this tension, I think it's at the heart of amazed and perplexed. Of Jesus is able to hold both the seriousness and the injustice of death, and also recognize that death is still not going to win. And that's saying it out loud right now. When I haven't had a recent death in my life, that's really easy. But if a close family member dies or somebody I love dies tomorrow, man, that tension gets a lot harder to hold. 
I think that that helps me. I like that sense, and this is true about a lot of things, but specifically about death. Jesus knowing that he has the power over death, and certainly after his resurrection, he he has the power. It's, it's obvious in an even more uh, clear way. He doesn't treat it frivolously. He's not just, ah, death. You know, why are you so scared? You know, calm down, you know. Um, I, I'm interested in, in chapter, in verse four of chapter 11, he says, this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory. Uh, then he says, let's go back to Judea. And then he talks about Lazarus being asleep in verse, uh, 11, our friend Lazarus falling asleep and they're like, Hey, if you sleep, so get better. <laughs> you know, let's, let's stop. And then in verse 14, like Lazarus is dead, <laughs> you know? And so the idea, and I think there's a clue there, and this is not the only time in the Bible it, it uses the word sleep to talk about death, and so we're kind of, I'm transitioning even in a different direction now, of there is this repetition of of sleep being the operative wording for death. Now, now the challenge is you have the passages like you referenced where he says, today you'll be with me in or, paradise. Or Paul talking about it being better to go on and, and be with Christ. Right. Uh, and, and Luke 16, where you have the parable of the rich man Lazarus, and he was taken to Abraham's bosom. And so then there's a lot of discussion. I don't know if you've run across this, but is this a parable? Or is this a real um, a picture of what happens when we die, that we are taken to the bosom of Abraham? Or is that a parable? Meaning, this is a, I've even heard people say this is a story that was common understanding Jesus' point with that parable is not what happens when you die. It's talking to the Pharisees about wealth Mm -hmm. and where you put your confidence. And so however you read that, this word sleep shows up much more than the presentation of you immediately dying and, you know, going directly to be with Jesus. And that's where the conversation of some kind of middle place comes up, some pre-place. I've heard this. So so a a bad place would be... um, Hades, but then is Hades part good? And I mean, this this discussion goes on and on and on. So next week we'll dive into that more, and uh, and it's a, a bottomless conversation. So we'll tune in next week as Connor and Jason solve heaven and hell. Oh no, no. So with that obviously not being true, I I just would say for for now, notice how Jesus talks about death. And this idea of sleep, and then the implications of that, which we will dig into. Com- coming back to our point here, though, is this this dynamic of Jesus holding it both as something serious and not something to be afraid of, I think really speaks to me. Because um, even if I had nothing else to know that he says, Jason, the feeling you feeling you feel about death, the fear you have around death, or the concern or the confusion around that, that's okay. This is something weighty. The sense that it's unjust. Yeah, I get you. And then simultaneously saying, but I have part of the story you don't have. And how confident you can be in and that confidence affecting you that these fears, this confusion, this sense of injustice doesn't have to rule the way you look at it. Uh, I think that's just, that's one of those beautiful pictures that Christ gives us in this small microcosm of considering how he interacted with Lazarus and Lazarus' family around his death. Thank you for listening to the Amaze and Perplex podcast. 
music by Heaven Sense. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask a question or just to tell us how great we are, you can email us at amazedandperplexed at gmail.com. 